allora segnato dal destino batte il cielo della nostra patria Pendant Productions proudly presents Julius Caesar, written by William Shakespeare. Act One. Home, you idle creatures, get you home. Is this a holiday? A what, you know not. Being mechanical, you ought not walk upon a laboring day with the sign of your profession. Speak, what trade art thou? Why, sir, a carpenter. Where is thy leather apron and thy rule? What dost thou with thy best apparel on? You, sir, what trade are you? Truly, sir, in respect of a fine workman, I am but, as you would say, a cobbler. But what trade art thou? Answer me directly. A trade, sir, that I hope I may use with a safe conscience, which is indeed, sir, a mender of bad souls. What trade, thou knave? Thou naughty knave, what trade? Nay, I beseech you, sir, be not out with me. Yet, if you be out, sir, I can mend you. What meanest thou by that? Mend me, thou saucy fellow? Why, sir, cobble you. Thou art a cobbler, art thou? Truly, sir, all that I live by is with the old. I meddle with no tradesmen matters, no women's matters, but with all. I am indeed, sir, a surgeon to old shoes. When they are in great danger, I recover them. As proper men as ever trod upon Neat's leather have gone upon my handiwork. But wherefore art thou not in thy shop today? Why dost thou lead these men about the streets? Truly, sir, to wear out their shoes, to get myself into more work. <laughs> But indeed, sir, we make holiday to see Caesar and to rejoice in his triumph. Wherefore rejoice? What conquest brings he home? What tributaries follow him to Rome to grace in captive bonds his chariot wheels? You blocks, you stones, you worse than senseless things! Oh, you hard hearts, you cruel men of Rome, knew you not, Pompey? Many a time and oft have you climbed up to walls and battlements, the towers and windows, yea, the chimney tops, your infants in your arms, and there have sat the live long day with patient expectation to see great Pompey pass the streets of Rome. And when you saw his chariot but appear, have you not made an universal shout that Tibur trembled underneath her banks to hear the replication of your sounds made in her concave shores? And do you now put on your best attire? And do you now call out a holiday? 
And do you now strew flowers in his way? That comes in triumph over Pompey's blood? Be gone! Run to your houses! Fall upon your knees! Pray to the gods to intermit the plague that needs must light on this ingratitude. Go, go, good countrymen, and for this fault assemble all the poor men of your sort. Draw them to the Tiber banks, and weep your tears into the channel, till the lowest stream you kiss the most exalted shores of all. whether their basest metal be not moved, they vanish tongue-tied in their guiltiness. Go you down that way towards the capital, this way will I disrobe the images, if you do find them decked with ceremonies. May we do so? You know it is the Feast of Luperco. It is no matter. Let no images be hung with Caesar's trophies. I'll about and drive away the vulgar from the streets. So do you too, where you perceive them thick. These growing feathers plucked from Caesar's wing will make him fly an ordinary pitch. Who else would soar above the view of men and keep us all in servile fearfulness? Calpurnia! Peace, ho! Caesar speaks! Calpurnia! Here, my lord. Stand you directly in Antonia's way when she doth run her course. Antonia! Caesar! My lord! Forget not in your speed, Antonia, to touch Calpurnia. Our elders say the baron, touched in this holy chase, shake off their sterile curse. I shall remember. When Caesar says do this, it is performed. Set on, and leave no ceremony out. Caesar! Huh? Who calls? Bid every noise be still. Peace yet again. Who is it in the press that calls on me? I hear a tongue shriller than all the music cries, Caesar. Speak. Caesar is turned to hear. Beware the Ides of March! What man is that? A soothsayer bids you beware the Ides of March. Set him before me, let me see his face. Fellow, come from the throng, look upon Caesar. What sayest thou to me now? Speak, once again. Beware the Ides of March. He is a dreamer. Let us leave him. Pass.
Will you go see the order of the course? Not I. Oh, I pray you, do. I am not gamesome. I do lack some part of that quick spirit that is in Antony. Let me not hinder, Cassius, your desires. I'll leave you. Brutus, I do observe you now of late. I... I have not from your eyes that gentleness and show of love as I was wont to have. You bear too stubborn and too strange a hand over your friend that loves you. Cassius, be not deceived. If I have veiled my look, I turn the trouble of my countenance merely upon myself. Vexed I am of late with passions of some difference. Exceptions only proper to myself, which gives some soil, perhaps, to my behaviors. But let not my good friends be grieved, among which number Cassius be you one, nor construe any further my neglect than that poor Brutus, with himself at war, forgets the shows of love to other men. Ah, then, Brutus, I have much mistook your passion. By means whereof, this breast of mine hath buried thoughts of great value, worthy cogitations. Tell me, good Brutus, can you see your face? No, Cassius, for the eye sees not itself, but by reflection, by some other things. Tis just, and it is very much lamented, Brutus, that you have no such mirrors as will turn your hidden worthiness into your eye, that you might see your shadow. I have heard where many of the best respect in Rome, <clears throat> except immortal Caesar, speaking of Brutus, and groaning underneath this age's yoke, have wished that noble Brutus had his eyes. Into what dangers would you lead me, Cassius, that you would have me seek it to myself for that which is not in me? Therefore, good Brutus, be prepared to hear. And, since you know you cannot see yourself so well as by reflection, I, your glass, will modestly discover to yourself that of yourself which you yet know not of. And be not jealous on me, gentle Brutus, were I a common laugher, or did use to stale with ordinary oaths my love to every new protester. If you know that I do fawn on men and hug them hard and after scandal them, or if you know that I profess myself in banqueting to all the rout, then hold me dangerous. What means this shouting? I do fear the people choose Caesar for their king. I? Do you fear it? Hmm. Then must I think you would not have it so. I would not, Cassius. Yet I love him well. But wherefore do you hold me here so long? What is it that you would impart to me? If it be aught toward the general good, set honor in one eye and death in the other, and I will look upon both indifferently. For let the gods so speed me, as I love the name of honor, more than I fear death. I know that virtue to be in you, Brutus, as well as I do know your outward favor. Well, honor is the subject of my story. I cannot tell what you and other men think of this life, but for my single self, I had as lief not be as live, to be in awe of such a thing as I myself. I was born free as Caesar, so were you. We both have fed as well, and we can both endure the winter's cold as well as he. For once, upon a raw and gusty day, the troubled Tiber chafing with her shores, Caesar said to me, Dearest thou Cassius, now leap in with me into this angry flood and swim to yonder point. Upon the word, accoutred as I was, I plunged in and bade him follow. So indeed he did. The torrent roared, and we did buffet it with lusty sinews, throwing it aside and stemming it with hearts of controversy. But ere we could arrive, the point proposed, Caesar cried, Help me, Cassius, or I sink. I, as Aeneas, our great ancestor, did from the flames of Troy, upon his shoulder the old Anchises bear, 
So from the waves of Tiber did I, tired Caesar. And this man is now become a god? And Cassius is a wretched creature and must bend her body if Caesar carelessly but not on her. He had a fever when he was in Spain, and when the fit was on him, I did mark how he did shake. Tis true, this god did shake. His coward lips did from their color fly. And that same eye whose bend doth awe the world did lose his luster. I did hear him groan, aye, <laughs> and that tongue of his that bade the Romans mark him and write his speeches in their books. Alas, it cried, give me some drink, Titinius, as a sick girl. Ye gods, it doth amaze me a man of such a feeble temper should so get the start of the majestic world and bear the palm alone. Another general shout. I do believe that these applauses are for some new honors that are heaped upon Caesar. Why, man, he doth bestride the narrow world like a colossus, and we, petty men, walk under his huge legs and peep about to find ourselves dishonorable graves. Men at some time are masters of their fates. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings. Brutus and Caesar. What should be in that Caesar? Why should that name be sounded more than yours? Write them together. Yours is as fair a name. Sound them. It doth become the mouth as well. Weigh them. It is as heavy. Conjure with them. Brutus will start a spirit as soon as Caesar. Now in the names of all the gods at once, upon what meat doth this our Caesar feed that he is grown so great? age thou art shamed. Rome, thou hast lost the breed of noble bloods. When went there by an age since the great flood, but it was famed with more than with one man? When could they say till now that talked of Rome, that her wide walls encompassed but one man? Now is it Rome indeed, and room enough, when there is in it but one man? Oh, you and I have heard our fathers say there was a Brutus once that would have brooked the eternal devil to keep his state in Rome as easily as a king. That you do love me, I am nothing jealous. While you would work me too, I have some aim. How I have thought of this and of these times, I shall recount hereafter. For this present, I would not, with so with love I might entreat you, be any further moved. What you have said I will consider. Which you will have to say I will with patience here, to find a time both meet to hear and answer such high things. Till then, my noble friend, chew upon this. Brutus had rather be a villager than to repute himself a son of Rome under these hard conditions as this time is like to lay upon us. I am glad that my weak words have struck with thus much show of fire from Brutus. The games are done, and Caesar is returning. As they pass by, pluck Casca by the sleeve, and he will, after his sour fashion, tell you what hath proceeded worthy note today. I will do so. But look you, Cassius, the angry spot doth glow upon Caesar's brow, and all the rest look like a chin and train. Calpurnius' cheek is pale, and Cicero looks with such ferret and such fire eyes as we have seen him in the capital, being crossed in conference by some senators. Casca will tell us what the matter is. Antonia! Caesar! Let me have women about me that are fat. 
sleek-headed men, and such as sleep a night. Don Cassius has a lean and hungry look. She thinks too much. Such ones are dangerous. Fear her not, Caesar. She's not dangerous. She is a noble Roman and well given. Would <laughs> she were fatter? <laughs> but, but I fear her not. Yet, if my name were liable to fear, I do not know the one I should avoid so soon as that spare Cassius. She reads much. She is a great observer, and she looks quite through the deeds of men. She loves no plays as thou dost, Antonia. She hears no music. Seldom she smiles, and smiles in such a sort as if she mocked herself and scorned her spirit that could be moved to smile at anything. Such men as she be never at heart's ease, whilst they behold a greater than themselves. And therefore are they very dangerous. I'd rather tell thee what is to be feared than what I fear. For always I am Caesar. Come, on my right hand, for this, uh, this ear is deaf. And tell me truly what thou thinkst of her. You pulled me by the cloak. Would you speak with me? Aye, Casca. Tell us what hath chanced today that Caesar looks so sad. Why? You were with him, were you not? I should not then ask Casca what had chanced. Why, there was a crown offered him. And being offered him, he put it by with the back of his hand thus. And then the people fell a-shouting. What was the second noise for? Why for that too? They shouted thrice. What was the last cry for? Why for that too? Was the crown offered him thrice? Ah, Mary wasn't. And he put it by thrice, every time gentler than other. And at every putting by, mine honest neighbors shouted. Who offered him the crown? Why, Anthony. Tell us the manner of it, gentle Casca. I can as well be hanged as tell the manner of it. It was mere foolery. I did not mark it. I saw Mark Anthony offer him a crown, yet was not a crown neither was one of these coronets, and as I told you, he put it by once. But for all that, to my thinking, he would fain have had it. Then she offered it to him again. Then he put it by again, but to my thinking, he was very loath to lay his fingers off of it. And then she offered it the third time. He put it the third time by, and still as he refused it. The rabblement hooted and clapped their chapped hands and threw up their sweaty nightcaps and uttered such a deal of stinking breath because Caesar refused the crown that it had almost choked Caesar. For he swounded and fell down at it. And for my own part, I durst not laugh for fear of opening my lips and receiving the bad air. But soft, I pray you, what? Did Caesar swound? He fell down in the marketplace and foamed at mouth and was speechless. Tis very like he hath the falling sickness. Hmm. No, Caesar hath it not. But you and I and honest Casca, we have the falling sickness. I know not what you mean by that, but I am sure Caesar fell down. 
if the Tagrag people did not clap him and hiss him according as he pleased and displeased them, as they used to do the players in the theater, I am no true man. What said he when he came unto himself? Mary, before he fell down, when he perceived that the common herd was glad he refused the crown, he plucked me ope his doublet and offered them his throat to cut. And I had been a man of any occupation. If I would not have taken him at a word, I would I might go to hell among the rogues. And so he fell. When he came to himself again, he said, if he had done or said anything amiss, he desired their worships to think it was his infirmity. Three or four wenches where I stood cried, alas, good soul, and forgave him with all their hearts. But there's no heed to be taken of them. If Caesar had stabbed their mothers, they would have done no less. And after that, he came, thus sad, o- away. Aye. Did Cicero say anything? Aye, he spoke Greek. To what effect? Nay, and I tell you that I'll ne'er look you either face again. But those that understood him smiled at one another and shook their heads. But for mine own part, it was Greek to me. I can tell you more news, too. Marullus and Flavius, for pulling scarves off Caesar's images, are put to silence. Fare you well. It was more foolery yet, if I could remember it. Will you sup with me tonight, Casca? No, I'm promised forth. Will you dine with me tomorrow? Aye, if I be alive and your mind hold and your dinner worth the eating. (laughs) Good. I will expect you. Do so. Farewell, both. What a bon fellow was this grown to be. He was quick metal when he went to school. So is he now in execution of any bold or noble enterprise, however he puts on this tardy form. This rudeness is a sauce to his good wit, which gives men's stomach to digest his words with better appetite. And so it is. For this time I will leave you. Tomorrow, if you please to speak with me, I will come home to you, or, if you will, come home to me, and I will wait for you. I will do so. Till then think of the world. Well, Brutus, thou art noble. Yet I see thy honorable metal may be wrought from that it is disposed. Therefore, it is meet that noble minds keep ever with their likes. For who so firm that cannot be seduced? Caesar doth bear me hard, but he loves Brutus. Hmm. If I were Brutus now, and he were Cassius, he should not humor me. I will this night, and several hands in at his windows throw, as if they came from several citizens, writings all tending to the great opinion that Rome holds of his name, wherein, obscurely, Caesar's ambition shall be glanced at, and after this let Caesar seat him sure, for we will shake him, or worse days endure. Good even, Casca. Brought you Caesar home? Why are you breathless? 
And why stare you so? Are you not moved when all the sway of earth shakes like a thing unfirm? Oh, Cicero, I, I've seen tempests when the scolding winds have ribbed the knotty oaks, and, and I've seen the ambitious ocean swell and rage and foam to be exalted with the threatening clouds. But never till tonight, never till now did I go through a tempest-dropping fire. Either there is a civil strife in heaven, or else the world, too saucy with the gods, incenses them to send destruction. Why? Saw you anything more wonderful? common slave, you know him well by sight, held up his left hand, which did flame and burn, like twenty torches joined. Yet his hand, not sensible of fire, remained unscorched. Besides, I had not put up my sword against the capital. I met a lion who glared upon me and went surly by without annoying me. And there were drawn upon a heap a hundred ghastly women, transformed with their fear, who swore they saw men all in fire walk up and down the streets, and yesterday the bird of night did sit even at noonday upon the marketplace, hooting and shrieking. When these prodigies do so conjointly meet, let not men say these are their reasons, they are natural, for I believe they are portentous things unto the climate that they point upon. Indeed, it is a strange disposed time. But men may construe things after their fashion, clean from the purpose of the things themselves. Come Caesar to the capital tomorrow? He doth, for he did bid Antonia send word to you he would be there tomorrow. Good night, then, Casca. This disturbed sky is not to walk in. Farewell, Cicero. Who's there? A Roman. Casca, by your voice. Your ear is good. Cassius, what night is this? A very pleasing night to honest men. Who ever knew the heavens menace so? Those that have known the earth so full of faults. For my part, I've walked about the streets submitting me unto the perilous night, and thus unbraced Casca, as you see, have bared my bosom to the thunderstone. And when the cross-blue lightning seemed to open the breast of heaven, I did present myself even in the aim and very flash of it. Wherefore did you so much tempt the heavens? It is the part of men to fear and tremble, when the most mighty gods by tokens send such dreadful heralds to astonish us. <sighs> you are dull, Casca, and those sparks of life that should be in a Roman you do want, or else you use not. You look pale and gaze and put on fear and cast yourself in wonder to see the strange impatience of the heavens. But if you would consider the true cause, why all these fires, why all these gliding ghosts, why birds and beasts from quality and kind, why old men fool and children calculate, why all these things change from their ordinance, their natures and preformed faculties to monstrous quality, why you should find that heaven hath infused them with these spirits to make them instruments of fear and warning unto some monstrous state. Now could I, Casca, name to thee a man most like this dreadful night that thunders, lightens, opens graves, and roars that doth the lion in the capital, a man no mightier than thyself or me in personal action, yet prodigious grown and fearful as these strange eruptions are. Tis Caesar that you mean. Is it not, Cassius? Let it be who it is. For Romans now have thews and limbs like to their ancestors, but woe, the while, 
Our fathers' minds are dead, and we are governed with our mother's spirits. Our yoke and sufferance show us womanish. Indeed. They say the senators tomorrow mean to establish Caesar as a king, and he shall wear his crown by sea and land, in every place, save here in Italy. I know where I will wear this dagger, then. Cassius from bondage will deliver Cassius. Therein, ye gods, you make the weak most strong. Therein, ye gods, you tyrants do defeat. Nor stony tower, nor walls of beaten brass, nor airless dungeon, nor strong links of iron can be retentive to the strength of spirit. But life, being wary of these worldly bars, never lacks power to dismiss itself. If I know this, know all the world besides. That part of tyranny that I do bear, I can shake off at pleasure. So can I. So every bondman in his own hand bears the power to cancel his captivity. And why should Caesar be a tyrant then? Poor man. I know he would not be a wolf, but that he sees the Romans are but sheep. He were no lion, were not Romans hinds. Those that with haste will make a mighty fire, begin it with weak straws. What trash is Rome, what rubbish, and what awful, when it serves for the base matter to illuminate so vile a thing as Caesar. Ah, but, oh, grief, uh, where hast thou led me? I, I perhaps speak this before a willing bondman. Then I know my answer must be made, but I am armed, and dangers are to me indifferent. You speak to Casco, and to such a man that is no fleering telltale. Hold my hand, be factious for redress of all these greeds, and I will set this foot of mine as far as he who goes farthest. There's a bargain made. Now, know you, Casca, I have moved already some certain of the noblest-minded Romans to undergo with me an enterprise of honorable, dangerous consequence. And I do know by this they stay for me in Pompey's porch. For now, this fearful night, there is no stir or walking in the streets, and the complexion of the element in favor is like the work we have in hand, most bloody, fiery, and most terrible. Stand close a while, for here comes one in haste. Tis Cinna. I do know him by his gate. He is a friend. Cinna, where haste you so? To find out you. Who's that, Metellus Simber? No, it's Casca, one in corporate to our attempts. Am I not stayed for, Cinna? I am glad on it. What a fearful night is this. There's two or three of us have seen strange sights. Am I not stayed for? Tell me. Yes, you are. Oh, Cassius, if you could but win the noble Brutus to our party. Be you content. Good Senna, take this paper, and look you. Lay it in the praetor's chair where Brutus may but find it, and throw this in at his window. Set this up with wax upon old Brutus' statue. All this done, repair to Pompey's porch, where you shall find us. Is Decius Brutus and Trebonius there? All but Metellus Simber, and he's gone to seek you at your house. Well, I will hie and so bestow these papers as you bade me. That done, repair to Pompey's theater. Come, Casca, you and I will yet ere day see Brutus at his house. Three parts of him is ours already, and the man entire upon the next encounter yields him ours. Oh, he sits high in all the people's hearts, and that which would appear offense in us, his countenance, like richest alchemy, will change to virtue and to worthiness. Him and his worth and our great need of him you have right well conceded. Let us go, for it is after midnight, and ere day 
we will awake him and be sure of him. Pendant Shakespeare, also known as the Wild Bill Variety Show. Julius Caesar, Act One. Featuring the voice talents of Marty Brengel as Cassius, Richard Casto as Casca, Colin Kelly as Brutus, Jason R. Wallace as Caesar, Matthew Hansen as Marilus, Kristen Mass as the Second Citizen, Jeremy Wong as Flavius, Dave Morgan as Cicero. Alexander McTavish as Cinna, Anna Rodriguez as Antony, Vincent Morrison as the Soothsayer, Sarah Jane Clifton as Calpurnia, Jennifer Fang as the Lupercal Supporter, and Mindy Rast Keenan as the First Citizen. Written by William Shakespeare, adapted for audio by Colin Kelly, directed by Landon Bell. Music by Zero Dash Project of Zero Dash Project Gr. Additional music by the United States Army Band Pershing Zone and Landon Bell of SoundCloud.com slash Landon Bell. Produced by Pendant Productions. This production is copyright 2014, Pendant Productions. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening. must be by his death. And for my part, I know no personal cause to spurn at him, but for the general. He would be crowned. How that might change his nature, there's the question. Next time on The Pendant Shakespeare. Let us swear our resolution. No, not an oath. If not the face of men, the sufferance of our souls, the time's abuse... If these be motives weak, break off betimes every man hints to his idle bed. So let high-sided tyranny range on, till each man drop by lottery. And for Antonia, think not of her, for she can do no more than Caesar's arm when Caesar's head is off. Yet I fear her, for in the ingrafted love she bears to Caesar... Alas, good Cassius, do not think of her. Brutus, my lord. Portia, what mean you? Wherefore rise you now? It is not for your health thus to commit your weak condition to the rock old morning. Is Brutus sick? And is it physical to walk unbraced and suck up the humors of the dank morning? Is Brutus sick? And will he steal out of his wholesome bed to dare the vile contention of the night and tempt the roomy and unperjured air to add unto his sickness? Oh, ye gods. 
Render me worthy of this noble life. The plot advances when Julius Caesar Act Two premieres on December 10th, 2014. Of all the wonders that I yet have heard, it seems to me most strange that men should fear, seeing that death, a necessary end, will come when it will come. Only at PendantAudio.com.